Amen. All right. Notice what it says in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest ye fall. The title of my message tonight is Take Heed Lest Ye Fall. Now, what does that mean, take heed lest ye fall? That's a phrase that we hear a lot. And when many people use that phrase, take heed lest ye fall, they will often use it when maybe we say negative things about somebody who has fallen. All right. So, for example, you know, a pastor falls into sin, and often when a pastor falls into sin, you know, people like me will come along and we'll start bringing up stuff from First Timothy chapter three. All right. We'll bring up those qualifications for a bishop and say, "Listen, man, this pastor fell. He committed adultery. You know, he divorced his wife or whatever." This man has been disqualified from pastoring. You know, he fell into sin, and then you're going to have, you know, Pastor Limperist, he comes along and says, How dare you say that? You know, how dare you, you know, condemn this man's ministry? Take heed lest he fall. That could happen to you. And basically, when they're saying that, when they bring up that take heed lest he fall, they're basically saying, How dare you judge? That could happen to you. But here's the thing. It's not me necessarily judging. The Bible already judged it. The Bible already spelled this out. Okay, I mean, he has failed in having the good report. I mean, he has failed in ruling his own household. He's failed in all these areas. He's not qualified. I mean, clearly not qualified to be pastoring. And so I'm just saying, listen, you know, he ought to step down. That church ought to fire him. And then everybody wants to come along and say, Take heed lest he fall. I saw it here just recently, an assistant pastor in a church whose pastor fell because he's a pervert. You know, this this assistant pastor, he tweet, he does this tweet, basically say, ah, uh, the tweet said, Don't act like you're not capable of messing up. First Corinthians ten twelve, wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Okay? Now listen. That warning is very good. When we see other people fall into sin, you know what it ought to be a reminder to us? It ought to be a reminder to us to take heed lest we fall. Okay? When we see somebody fall into sin, that should be a reminder to us to stay close to God, to stay away from sin. It should always cause us to take heed lest we fall. But here's the thing that they're completely leaving out. Okay? Take heed lest ye fall should not be interpreted no consequences for the person who falls. Which is exactly what they're doing. Wait a minute. Why is this pastor who has fallen, why is he being relocated to another ministry? You know, he should not... He is disqualified. And they'll say, take heed as he fall. But he fell. Why are we letting him go now and just take another position as a pastor or whatever? And nobody seems to have a problem with that. You know, why, why are we doing that? And why are you quoting, take heed lest ye fall? Okay, yes, I'm capable of falling into sin. I'm capable of getting myself into trouble. But here's the thing. When a person falls, doesn't that usually mean they're in trouble? There's consequences. But they want to take that verse and say, don't you dare say anything. Leave them alone. In other words, no consequences for them because it could happen to you too. That's a stupid interpretation. Especially when we read the, the verses before 1 Corinthians 10-12. That, that all of a sudden, it really makes that a very stupid thing to say. So let's go ahead and read. Let's start reading in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And let's just see 
if we should use that verse in that way. If take heed lest ye fall is a warning to all of us who might be judging somebody and saying they have fallen, they have no right to be in a certain position. Let's see if that's what we're, we're supposed to get from that. So verse 1 says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and all did drink the same spiritual rock for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. And I, I include these four verses too because we see here that all these things that were written in the Old Testament were written for our admonition. A lot of people will bring, when you bring up Old Testament punishments for things and how God felt about things in the Old Testament, they'll say, well, that was the Old Testament. Well, you know what? That rock that they followed was Christ, was the one that was getting mad at them back then for these sins. The one that was punishing them for these sins. These things that we read about in the Old Testament were written for us. So we would not do these things. All right? So don't try to give me that, well, that was Old Testament. It was different. No. God still feels the same way about fornication that He did in the Old Testament. He still feels the same way about adultery that He did in the Old Testament. So verse 5 says, But with many of them, God was not well pleased. Look at this. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Okay? Now would it be safe to say that many of these people in the wilderness who did not believe God, that rejected God, that they fell? Yeah, the Bible says they fell in the wilderness. Okay? So... You know, and in this passage it says they were overthrown in the wilderness. Overthrown. Right? This was something that was done to them. Does that sound like no consequences? It sounds like these people who messed up, they were overthrown in the wilderness, meaning they died in the wilderness. Meaning they didn't get to go into the promised land. Is that no consequences? No, that's bad consequences. That's really bad consequences. Verse 6 says, Now these things were our examples to the intent that we... New Testament should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up and play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Now what does that mean? Does that mean when they fell, that means twenty-three thousand people committed fornication? No, it means they died. It means they got killed. 23,000 people died because of fornication. Does that sound like no consequences? That sounds like pretty severe consequences. When you fall, that's bad. When you fall, there are severe consequences. Okay? And so in verse 9 says, Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Remember that story? Fiery serpents. How often do you see fiery serpents? Okay? But these people, when they were murmuring and complaining, God sent fiery serpents to bite them and many of them died. Why? It was punishment. You know why? Because these people committed a very bad sin and they fell. Okay? And that fall, in this case, these cases meant they died. They literally died. Okay? So verse uh, 10, Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Alright? Destroyed of the destroyer. Does that sound like no consequences? That sounds like they died. Alright? They were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen to them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. It is spelled out here. Those stories in the Old Testament are lessons that we are supposed to learn from. 
Okay? Just like we try to teach our kids lessons from things that happen in life and things that they see. You know, one of the things that we've used to teach our kids before when we've seen druggies out there and drunks staggering around, we've pointed that out to our kids and say, that's why you don't drink. That's why you don't do drugs. You guys remember the zombie that we saw in Moline that one time walking down the street? We called him the zombie. The guy was walking like a zombie. You would tell that guy was all strung out on something. We told the kids, we were like, that's a zombie. And they were a lot smaller then, you know. And uh, so they were just like, really? And I was like, yeah. So, I mean, they, you know, the guy was acting like a zombie. He just didn't have body parts falling off yet. But, you know, they're, they're looking at that. And I was like, you know what makes people turn into zombies? Drugs. You know? And then it wasn't long after that, uh, we were dropping something off at the post office after church on a Sunday night. It was dark out. We were driving to the post office. They got those bars over there. And there was this guy out there just kind of staggering around. And then he just kind of had to go and sit down. Walk. He's walking around like a zombie. We told the kids, there's another zombie right there. It's because that guy's drinking alcohol. That's why you don't drink alcohol. You're going to look like a zombie. It'll turn you into a zombie like that guy. <laughs> you know? And we use those examples like that. You say, that's terrible. We shouldn't judge people like that. Well, then you know what? The Apostle Paul shouldn't have brought up all these examples of people falling in the Old Testament and telling them, don't you do that. Alright? That's exactly what Paul did. We're supposed to do the same thing too. I had to go to the dentist this week and I brought up the way, you know, they were, they were talking about how our kids did good and their dental checkups and their teeth were good and everything and I told them one of the things that I did when they were younger to inspire them to brush their teeth, I googled images of nasty teeth. And I made the kids look at it. And I said, if you don't brush your teeth, that's what your teeth are going to look like. Yeah? And all of a sudden the kids got a lot better at brushing, remembering to brush their teeth during that time. You say you shouldn't use scary examples like that. I'm sorry, I stole the idea from God. Because that is exactly what he did in the Old Testament. Because every one of these people that fell, it meant death. Alright? It meant death when they fell. So he says, Now all these things were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Alright? So now... Is it safe to say this fall here that he's talking about, that he's warning us about, is talking about death? Alright? Not eternal death. Not talking about, you know, you know, I know we can't lose our salvation or anything like that. But folks, when a person falls, it's bad. Alright? There's consequences. They are really bad. Now, we live in a perverted society, right? We, there's no doubt, there's no disputing the fact that the United States of America is a perverted country. We don't put homos to death. In fact, our country celebrates homos. We don't put adulterers to death. We don't, we don't punish fornication. We don't do any of these things in, that, in this country. We just let it go and nobody cares. And so that's just motivating more of it. You say, well, we'd be killing so many people. No, we wouldn't. All right? If we punish this type of thing, most people wouldn't do it. The reprobates would still do it, but, you know, you know, we'd, Need to put them to death anyway. Alright? But most people wouldn't do it. Alright? There wouldn't be as many as you think. But because we have a sick, perverted, twisted, cruel country who always wants to worry about the bad guys instead of the victims, we don't deal with these things. But folks, is that was that God's plan? Is that what God commanded? No. God told us how to deal with these things. So these sins that he's been talking about here and the sins that people often are trying to cover for somebody for. For example, adultery, being a pervert, you know, being a stinking homo, you know, child molester, like this guy out in Peoria, I knew. I mean, a youth director, pastor's son, 
molesting kids in the youth group. Right? That just blows my mind. Right? That absolutely blows my mind. I mean, you know, I hope he goes to prison for it. But the thing is, you'll have people that will try to stick up for him and say, take heed lest he fall. Okay, I'll take heed lest I fall. I don't want to go to prison. I don't want to be put to death. Except our country's not going to put anybody to death for that stuff. They should, but is there any way you can read this passage and, eat and come up with no consequences? And that's exactly what people are doing today. They mean no consequences. It says in verse 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. So it's clear here in the Bible that when we are tempted, all right, if we'll take heed, God will make a way of escape so we don't fall. So we don't get ourselves killed. So we don't ruin our life. And I show you all that because it is the most foolish, hypocritical thing in the world that when a pastor commits adultery or some type of perverted act for another preacher to get up and say, take heed lest he fall, you know, don't you say anything about him pastoring another church and getting relocated. That is just stupid, folks. There's no way. Falling means... Consequences. In this case, it means death. It means getting killed. And these guys, all they're doing is getting slapped on the wrist, maybe embarrassed a little bit, and they're getting relocated to another place, still getting a salary, you know, instead of just going out and forcing these guys to you know, work an honest job. This is garbage. And the, the, to fall, it's not just to commit a horrible sin. Because what people will often do, and this is just kind of the terminology we use, you'll hear about some pastor committing a terrible sin, and they'll say, you know, unfortunately this pastor's fallen. You know, meaning he committed this sin. Alright? But that's not exactly what it means. It doesn't mean to just commit a horrible sin, but it means to suffer the consequences for it, is what it means. It's not just committing the sin, it is facing the consequences for it. Alright? Now you can say, like, Jack Scott fell because he committed a terrible sin and he went to prison. Alright? So, you know, you can, you can say in that case he fell, but just because a pastor commits a terrible sin, it doesn't mean he fell in the biblical sense. The falling isn't until there's punishment. And folks, since our government is perverted and is not going to put down perverts, can we not at least as a church remove them from the church? Alright, obviously we can't kill them, but you know what we can do? We can end their ministry. We can end their influence. We can end them being in a place of power and influence where they can continue taking advantage of people and hurting people. We as a church can at least do that. And some places do, but a lot of places aren't. There are just new precedents being set and people are becoming more and more accepting of bad perversion. Folks, not even just adultery. Alright? Not even just adultery, but I'm talking child molestation. There are churches today that are letting known child molesters in their church. And it's like their attitude, well, they didn't get convicted of it, you know? But it's like our government, you know, they have statute of limitations, things like that they've got to worry about. You know, but many times, I mean, I know of so many situations right now where known perverts are in churches. You know, we have another scenario we've got today that makes it very difficult is, you know, and even in most old IFB churches, 
Most old IFB churches will admit that homosexuality is perversion. Alright? They'll still admit that to you. They might not say it that loudly today. They're really backing off on that. But here's the, here's the thing. While the old IFB will agree that being a homosexual means you are a pervert, they, one thing that's happening now, they are letting known homosexual offenders continue going to churches. And the thing is, it's like they feel like we can't do anything about it because the, you know, there's, they're not getting convicted of anything. Because that's the only time churches will do anything. And some of, the, some of these situations I know of right now, I'm not going to say a whole lot because I don't know all the details on them yet, of guys I know that have gotten busted for being stinking perverts. I'm praying that these guys at least get put on the registered sex offender list. Because if the government does that, then the Baptist, you know, independent Baptist denomination probably won't let them pastor again if they're on a registered sex offenders list. Okay? But if the state does not put them on a registered sex offenders list, even if we know that they're a pervert, most Baptists won't do anything about it. And that is disgusting that they won't do that. And so because that's the new standard now, we don't do anything about it until the government does something about it. You know what that means? They're never going to do anything about homos. And I know of church right here in Illinois, a wife found out her husband is a homo and he confessed and the pastor knows about it, but they've agreed to stay together even though he's a homo and he's still going to that church. The pastor doesn't care. He's okay with it. As long as they're still married, as long as it looks okay on the outside, as long as nothing illegal has been done, he's okay with a homo being in the church. And folks, that's even worse. Alright? I if there's gonna be a home if I'm gonna to go to a church with a homo, I would rather it be the obvious homo so I know to stay away from him. Don't let it be a homo that's married to a woman who has kids that I'm gonna think is straight and normal. You know, don't do that. You know, that, that is just a horrible thing to do in a church. And that kind of thing is going on. And I say, well, he fell into sin. Alright? Well, he hasn't fallen yet. He's not dead. He's not in prison. He's still on the loose. Yes, he's committed a horrible sin, but he has not fallen in the context of take heed lest he fall. And so, I'm going to say stuff about that. I'm going to, I'm going to have a problem. There are supposed to be consequences for sin, and God has given man the responsibility to administer some of those consequences. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. People get all bent out of shape. You know, how dare you be for the killing of people and stuff like that. God commissioned man to execute the death penalty. We're supposed to do that. And I, I wish our government did more of it, but they don't. But, you know, we've, we've got to understand the real meaning of falling. It's not just when they commit the sin. It's when they deal with the consequences. If these people never have the consequences, they never really fell in, in the sense of, First uh, Corinthians ten twelve, and so for them to say back at me, take heed lest ye fall, you know, it just it shows they're ignorant. It's like, dude, you haven't even fallen yet. You're still in the ministry. You're still getting a paycheck from churches. You're not in jail. You're still breathing. Hey, that is just messed up. So while temptations can be difficult, you know, God has made it so we don't have to be helpless victims. Okay, we all have temptations, folks, but there hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, 
who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Okay? Now keep a few things in mind here. Because whenever somebody falls into sin too, everybody always acts like, man, what a tragedy. You know? It can happen to anybody. And yes, yes, any of us are capable of falling into sin. Alright? I get that. Okay, but here's the thing. They act like it's a car wreck. Alright? You know, sometimes people get in car wrecks, you have accidents. Okay? There's a difference between an accident, an accident, and then just, you know, willful sin. And what did God say? You know, it's like, you know, temptation's great. You know, the devil, he really knows how to just put the temptation to the pastor. You know, because he's a pastor of this big church, he's got that great big old target on his back. Anybody ever heard that one before? Every time, oh, he's just got that big old target on his back. Okay, great, he's got a big old target. Okay, great, he faced a great temptation. But didn't God promise he would make a way to escape? God promised he would never allow us to be tempted above what we are able to handle. That verse is really clear there. Okay, And so whatever your temptation is, whatever you get tempted with, if you're saved, if you're a child of God, God has promised a way to escape. So you will be able to bear it. He promised that. So what does that tell me then? You know what that tells me? That these guys who fell into sin, okay, it, we've all tripped and fallen before, haven't we? You ever tripped and had that fall, especially in public and people saw it? Alright, that's embarrassing, right? That was an accident. Okay? You know, you, you really you didn't see it coming. But folks, when a man commits adultery, alright, when he commits perversion, he chose to do it. Alright? He didn't just trip up, he didn't just mess up, he didn't just make a mistake, he did it on purpose. Okay? These pastors that I know that are being getting busted for being perverts, you know, they're going to spin it. Oh, you know, it was a moment of weakness. It was a moment of temptation. It can happen to any of us. Well, maybe, but you know what? You all, you know, you need to admit you skipped the way of escape. You skipped it and you chose to do it and be a pervert. All right. And in these cases too, these guys I'm talking about, I don't. I think these guys are clearly reprobate. Okay, when you're going after kids. You're a reprobate, all right. This isn't like just adultery or something like that. That you know, many great people have you know messed up in that area and fallen. But when they did, they chose to do it. Okay, they chose to do it. You don't just accidentally do something like that. I might accidentally just lose my temper and punch somebody in the nose. That can happen quick, all right. But something like adultery, you know, it doesn't just happen. You don't just accidentally do it. Okay, and whenever you do it, no matter how bad the temptation was. There was a way of escape. God promised. So I was too weak. No, you weren't. God promised that He would not allow you to be tempted above what you were able. You could have handled it. You could have said no, and you chose not to. So if we don't escape, it's because we rejected escape. We rejected it. And when a pastor commits adultery, mark it down, he chose the adultery. Turn over to Hebrews Chapter 10 and verse 26. Okay? There, so there's no doubt about that. Okay, he was tempted. You know, temptation, it's strong. Okay. But you know what? It's not stronger than he is. God promised that he wouldn't allow temptation stronger than, than we can handle. 
God promised they would make a way of escape. He saw the escape hatch and He didn't choose to go through it. And so what does it say in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26? So, okay, he, he skipped the escape plan that God provided. He gave in when He didn't need to give in. So, but you know what? No consequences, right? Well, let's see what the Bible says about willful sin. Hebrews 10, 26. For if we sin willfully, okay? And I'm not talking about Apostle Paul's sin that he did ignorantly in unbelief, Okay? This is saved people who sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. You know what? This isn't the Old Testament anymore. If you go and you commit some kind of trespass, you don't just get to bring an offering to the priest that he could sacrifice on the altar and then boom, wash your hands, you're good to go. No. The sacrifice for sin has been made by Jesus Christ. Now you're saved. Now you've received the knowledge of the truth. And if you as a believer are going to say, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. You willfully sin. Alright? And any saved person, alright, if they are saved, that commits adultery, did it willfully. Alright? No matter how tempting the situation, they did it willfully. Alright? But it, the Bible says, so if we do that, there remains no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. You know what we can look for when we sin willfully? Judgment. Punishment. The Lord is going to judge His people. But he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Look at, I mean, this is in the New Testament He's telling us this. Those who despised Moses' law. all right, Not people who just accidentally broke a rule. No, they despised that law and they rejected it. The Bible says they died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite under the Spirit of grace. You're under grace. You've got eternal security. And you just go and you do some wicked sin like that that you knew you had no business doing. You did it on purpose. You know how much trouble you're going to be in? That's what he's saying right here. For we know Him that has said, Vengeance belongeth unto Me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Now folks, do we read this and say, you know what, no punishment. Because we all can fall. I mean, it could happen to the best of us. You know, we're all capable of sin. So, you know, the... How do you get that from reading the Bible? You know, you don't. All right, you get that because you just want to make excuses for your sins. You want to promote perversion. But there are there are irreversible consequences for adultery. All right, and I've been talking a lot about adultery because the Bible doesn't talk as much about child molestation. It doesn't talk as much about homosexuality because those were not real common things. But just mark it down, folks. I'm most of these scriptures I'm using are about adultery. Some of these things that these pastors I know that have done are just so far worse. Alright? It says child molestation, homosexuality, way worse, folks. I mean, they're in reprobate territory. Okay? There's no doubt people who molest kids are, have been given over to a reprobate mind. Okay? They're not even saved. They never will get saved. So imagine, just imagine the twisted thinking of another Baptist preacher who would recommend somebody like that into another church. 
Imagine the twisted mind of a man who would lay hands on someone like that and ordain them into the ministry knowing these people have done this type of despicable acts. It is just, it is beyond anything that we can even imagine. But in Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 32, look at this. It says, But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound and dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. Y'all see that? A wound and dishonor. That reproach isn't going away, folks. Listen, I'm sorry that you know the trendies have got in your head and made you think that all sins are equal and all sin, you know, but folks, it's not. Some things are worse than others. The Bible says when you committed adultery, you're destroying your own soul. A wound and dishonor you're going to get, you're going to get a reproach that cannot be wiped away. So now somebody explain to me why people are ordaining men into be, to be pastors who have committed adultery. That doesn't make any sense. Well, that was before he was saved. Okay, so that dishonor got wiped away. That wound, that wound got away. His wife's over that now. His wife doesn't care about the fact that her husband committed adultery in the past just because he got saved. Folks, that's that's ridiculous. All right, yes, when a person gets saved, the eternal punishment for their sin is gone, but there's still earthly consequences. I can go and I I can do a bunch of if I go to do a bunch of bad stuff, I can go kill a bunch of people. If I go and get saved after that, it's all under the blood. No, I should still have to pay the consequences, shouldn't I? I should still go to jail. I should still be put to death. And a person who has done things that violate the office of a bishop, even if it was before they were saved, they should not be ordained as a pastor later on. I do not, I do not believe that for one second. Yet I know many people who have committed, some of them have committed adultery before they went in the ministry. Some have committed adultery after they went in the ministry. You know, and either way, it's bad. And you know what? That wound and dishonor, it doesn't go away. And you know, you might know an adulterous pastor who's still in a pulpit today, but you know what? He's ashamed of the cause of Christ. He is bringing reproach to the cause of Christ. They can restore him to his position and the old IFB does it all the time. The old IFB is constantly restoring you know, what should be fallen men because of their sins. They're constantly restoring adulterers and perverts to the pulpit. But folks, while they can restore him to his position, the word of you know, they can never restore his reputation. They can never do that. Why? Because that reproach will not be wiped away. That's what the Bible says. And so, whenever you bring these things up, the question that always comes up, well, what about restoration? What about restoration? You know, when uh, Pastor Shiflet, you know, exposed the pervert Cameron Giovanelli for what he did, Tom Neal, he wrote this article, and I, I covered a bunch of his article in an earlier message I did, but I wanted, I wanted to read this one quote because this was another quote of exceptional stupidity that he had in this article. While there are many quotes of exceptional stupidity, but this one kind of goes along with the message. He said in, the, in his article, Brother Cameron, talking about the pervert, has a right to be treated with justice. If he was found to be guilty, we have a responsibility to restore him. He is not to be discarded. He is not to be scandalized. He is to be restored in the spirit of meekness by those who are spiritual. 
Stacy and his ilk obviously do not fit into that category. All right? Now, that sounds pretty good. In fact, that actually sounds kind of biblical. Turn over to Galatians chapter 6. Kind of biblical. Kind of, all right? Let's let's read this passage here, and let's see if Tom Neal's right and what he said. So, all right, so let's just say, all right, he's right. Okay, well, he he said in this article, if Cameron Giovanelli is guilty of these things, he should be restored. All right? So, okay, even if he's committed adultery on his wife, even if he... You know, committed statutory rape, alright? Even if he did all these things that he's been accused of, he should be restored to his position and be in leadership in a fundamental Baptist church. That, that, that's what you think? Alright, okay. Is that, is that what Galatians 6 teaches? Let's see what it says. Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. How dare you say that Cameron Giovanelli cannot be restored? Yeah, okay, he got overtaken in a fault, but you know what? It's our responsibility to restore him. And what does it mean to restore? It's to put him back in that rightful position, alright? Well, okay, now let's think about this for a minute. So, basically then, the qualifications for a bishop go out the window. Because if somebody has violated those things, if they don't fit those qualifications, well, according to Tom Neal, it's our responsibility to restore him in spite of you know, him violating all those things. So I don't really know what we're supposed to do with 1 Timothy chapter 3 if we're just supposed to restore everybody to exactly where they were before who wants to be restored. But what does it say in that passage? It says, if a man be overtaken to fall, you which are spiritual, restore such a one. All right. Now this is where... Sometimes you just have to stop and think for a second. If you think for about two seconds, it all make it all makes sense. All right. And here, here's the thing: there is a difference between a fault and a fall. All right. There's a difference because remember, it's take heed lest ye fall. And I showed in the Bible how when you fall, it means you suffer. In, in all the cases that mentioned, there was all death. It was always death. Okay. It was always death. Death is irreversible. Alright? So, there's a difference between a fault and a fall. Alright? So, a fault, for example, would be letting your child play with a loaded gun. Alright? If you see me letting Lana run around the house with a loaded gun, that's a pretty big fault, isn't it? That's really stupid, right? I'm, I'm a bad parent for letting her play with a loaded gun. Alright? But, you know what? I should be rebuked. I should get in some kind of trouble for being negligent, for being reckless. But nothing, nothing happened, all right? Nothing irreversible happened, all right? I can fix my stupidity, right, in that situation. I can be taught how dangerous it is. I can go after that and say, listen, Lana, I messed up. I, sh- I shouldn't let you play with the gun. You're not allowed to play with Daddy's guns, all right? Don't ever touch them again. I shouldn't let you do that. I'm sorry. You know, that can be fixed, okay? That was a fault. But if I let her play with a loaded gun and she shoots one of her brothers and sisters and kills them, I should really be in trouble now, shouldn't I? Because that can't be fixed. What just happened is a result of my stupid behavior. It cannot be fixed. It's irreversible. If I go out and I drive like a maniac, that's a fault, isn't it? But if nobody gets hurt 
If I get caught for that, I should get in trouble. I should get a ticket. You know, something should happen to me as a result of that fault. But I didn't do anything irreversible. But if I'm out there driving exactly the same way as a maniac and I hit a pedestrian and kill them, then should I not get in way more trouble? Should I not go to prison as a result of my reckless behavior? Because in that case, when you do something irreversible, that's when, that's when you fell. Okay? And there are many people today who have faults. Okay? They've got problems and we need to try to help people with those faults. You know why? So they don't fall. Right? If somebody's out there and they're struggling maybe with alcohol, don't we want to try to pull them out of it? Don't we want to try to restore them from that? Lest they fall, lest they get in a drunk driving accident and kill somebody, lest they, you know, get cirrhosis of the liver and die. You know, we don't want irreversible things to happen. So, you know, what we do we deal with faults. We punish faults. We but we can also restore people with faults. But a fall, these are things that are irreversible. These are things that can't be fixed. You can't there's some things you can't undo. You can't unkill somebody. Okay? Now, if I go and I steal something, that's a fault, isn't it? That's a really bad fault. But you know what? I can return what I stole. I can even pay fourfold of what I stole. There are some things that we can do that are faults, but they can be fixed. Alright? You know, and so you know, we need to try to, you know, so we're always going to try to restore people. But listen, there has to be repentance before there can be restoration. Okay? There has to be repentance. All these people, they want to talk about restoring guys like Cameron Giovanelli before he's even repented. You know, there's other guys out there that are wanting to restore some of these other perverts before they've even repented. And the thing is, too, you know, who, who cares at this point if they repent when they got caught? Okay? Everybody's sorry when they get caught. And in all these cases, these guys got caught. Okay? They're not sorry, but there has to be repentance for their, before there can be restoration. So for there to be repentance, it means you need to quit doing what you were doing, doesn't it? Okay? You need to quit doing those things. But how do you quit something that is irreversible? All right? In Luke 17, verse 3, says, Take heed to yourselves if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if he repent... Forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Okay? There's things that you can repent of, right? If you have a fault with me, if you're constantly gossiping to me, that's a fault, isn't it? Okay? You know, you can stop doing that. You can, you can repent of that. But if you go and you kill my wife, can you repent of killing my wife? Can you take that back? Can you undo that? No. You can't fix that. You can't undo that. There are some things that people do that are irreversible. And you know what? You can't uncommit adultery. You can't uncommit fornication. You can't undo these things. And so there is a huge difference between a fault. So when we see somebody in the church who maybe gets overtaken in a fault, we see them getting caught up in certain sins... Alright? Because I mean really what is the what is the big sin of drinking? Alright? I mean the Bible's very clear that drinking is a sin, alright? But at the same time, we have, there is a verse in the Bible that says it's not what goeth into the mouth that defileth a man, but what cometh out. Right? That's what defileth the man. So you could take that verse and say, well, there's no sin then in drinking alcohol because it's not what goeth into the defile. But wait a minute, but why is the alcohol a problem versus, you know, some other things? You know, people say, well, you know, you guys 
you know, you Baptists, you preach against alcohol and smoking, but, you know, you all eat, you know, junk food and McDonald's and all get fat, blah, blah, blah. You know, they always want to say all these things. All right. But wait a minute. Why is the alcohol such a big thing? You know why? Because when alcohol goes in, bad things come out of people. They end up doing things that they wouldn't have done sober. What does it say in the Bible? Look not on the wine when it is red in the glass, when it giveth its color. Why? It says, Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Okay? Alcohol is so bad because of what people end up doing while under the influence of that alcohol. So the thing is, if a person drinks, I believe that person can be restored. Okay? If a person, you know, gets even if they get even if they get caught doing something like drunk driving, okay, that person can be restored if they repent. Alright? However, if they go and they kill somebody while under the influence of alcohol, you can't undo that. They ought to be put to death. Alright? Our country won't do it, they'll probably at least put them into prison. That can't be undone. So there is there's a huge difference when it comes to things that can be undone. Versus things that can't be undone. And so when the Bible says, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are of a spiritual restore him, it doesn't say, if a man be fallen, restore him. Because you know what? You can't restore somebody who's fallen. The people who have fallen, they there's no coming back from that. At least there wasn't any in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And none of those examples were people able to come back from that and were we told to try to bring people back? You can't bring them back from the dead. You can't do that. So there is a huge difference. When people take a Cameron Giovanelli situation and they apply Galatians 6, it shows they are biblically ignorant of what the Bible teaches. They are misusing Scripture to make it sound good. Oh, you know, the guy just molested a few kids. You which are spiritual restore. You can't restore somebody from that. You can't undo what, what they did. Alright? If you if you steal from me, stealing's bad. But you know what? If you steal a hundred dollars from me, if you do what the Bible says and you pay me fourfold, I'm gonna be thrilled you spilled, you stole a hundred dollars. Alright? You could fix that. Okay? You could fix now, you know, I might not trust you anymore, but I would probably take advantage, I'd probably tempt you after that, you know, and alright, this guy gives in to it and then you keep paying me back fourfold. You know, that's a pretty good racket. But you know, so there are some things to be fixed. You know, there there are some things that are reversible, but some things aren't. I I can stop drinking, but I can't unkill somebody. You know, I can steal, but I can also give back what I've stolen, and I can even repay fourfold. I if I commit adultery, I can't uncommit adultery. If I kill, I can't unkill. You can't undo those things. And these, all these examples that we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 where people are falling, folks, they were dying. And these are for our example, and yet we're seeing people doing things today that the Bible says are worthy of death. And then people like myself are standing up and saying, why are people like this being put back in a pulpit? And people are saying, take heed lest ye fall. Well, I am taking heed lest I fall. You know what? In the way you know how I take heed lest I fall, I put safeguards in my life. I try to keep certain sins out of my life. That's why I don't drink alcohol. See, I mean, I'm sure when I had my appendix taken out, they put they gave me some stuff right before they put me out. Told me I would feel like I had a couple beers. 
And I was like, I don't even know what that's like. They gave me that stuff. I'm going to tell you right now, it felt pretty good. All right? The bus felt pretty good. The hangover wasn't worth it. All right? It, it, it wasn't worth it. There's got to be something to it. Otherwise, millions of people wouldn't be doing it. All right? I'm just going to admit that right now. I'm sure there, there must be something appealing about alcohol. But you know what? The Bible says it's a sin. If I get caught up in that, it's a fault. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to abstain from that. You know why? Because I'm taking heed lest I fall. Because if I drink alcohol, mine eyes will behold strange women. My heart shall utter perverse things. I might get behind the wheel of a car. And I might drive, go, go drive and I might kill somebody. So you know what? I am taking heed lest I fall. I'm keeping that kind of thing out of my life. I'm keeping drugs out of my life. I don't just, I don't go places with other women by myself. I'm not alone with other women. You know why? That would be a fault if I did that. And I don't want to do that because I want to take heed lest I fall. But folks, if I fall, if I do that sin, if I do that which is irreversible, part of falling is me dealing with the consequences. And then you know what all of you are supposed to do? You all are supposed to learn from that. And what are you going to learn from it if me as your pastor, I go out and I commit some horrible sin and then I'm just restored to my position like nothing happened? What kind of lesson, what kind of message is that going to send to the young people in our church? What kind of message is that going to send to other pastors who are being tempted? Listen, there's other pastors out there that are being tempted with things. You know what they need to see when pastors sin? They need to see them fall. They need to see them go down hard. And folks, you might say I'm a terrible person, but some of these preachers that I know that have committed these horrible sins, I pray that they fall. And I know our government isn't going to kill them, but I hope they go to prison. I hope their mugshot goes viral on the internet. I hope they are seen on the news in an orange jumpsuit being hauled off to the pokey. I hope we hear about them getting the snot beat out of them in prison and maybe even getting killed in prison because of the perversion they did. You say, you're cruel, you're mean. No, I'm not, folks. There's other people out there that may be tempted and they need to see that and it should terrify them from ever doing that. But you know what we're going to see with some of these guys because they were just so good at just rear kissing the establishment, we're going to see him get restored to position somewhere. And that's not right. And all that's going to do is it's going to motivate other people who are tempted. They're just going to do the same thing. The same sick thing. And folks, I don't have any part of that. Uh, I, I refuse to fellowship with people like that. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to have adulterers and fornicators and people like that come and preach here if, if, if I know about it. If I don't know about it, you know, not much I can do about what I don't know about. But if I know about it, I'm not going to allow it. And if I find out about it later, I'm not going to cover for it. Alright? I'm not going to cover for the fact that I've had a man preach here that's in prison today for murdering his wife. Alright? I'll admit it. I, I didn't know. I didn't know he was going to do that. And if we get up to two preachers that have preached here that have been in prison, I'm, I'm not going to hide from it. You know what I'm going to say? Yeah, we did. And you know what? They're in prison and thank God for it. I hope they rot in prison. That, that, that's what I'm going to say. So the Old Testament and New Testament you know, examples of God killing people for these things, they're warnings to us. These passages are showing us how God feels about these sins and only a pervert would take these passages and teach no consequences for that type of behavior. There are some things that God has commissioned us to deal with. And you know what? God has commissioned us to take out the trash. And we're going to keep the trash out of this church 
And as long as I am associated with independent fundamental Baptists, I'm going to call out the trash that's behind pulpits and do whatever I can to distance myself from them and not let them ruin the good name of independent fundamental Baptists. I want to see these people exposed. I don't want us to be the next Catholic church that's known for covering for perverts. I don't want that to be the name of the IFB. I want, I want the IFB to be known. I want the IFB to have the reputation for being the, metaphorically speaking, lynch mob of perverts behind the pulpit. I want people to think of Baptists. Man, those Baptists, when one of their guys gets busted, man, they throw them under the bus and they drive the bus. And then they back the bus up. You know, and let it sit on them. That's what I want our our reputation as as independent fundamental Baptists to be. And you know what? I'm putting myself in a position saying all these things. I'm going to look like a real idiot and a half if if I ever do anything like that. But you know what? I understand, yes, I'm capable of falling. I'm going to take heed lest I fall. Because to me, if I fall, that means I'm done for. I'm history. I'm probably dead. Even if I'm not dead, it means I'm in prison. It means I'm out of the ministry. It means I, you know, I, I've lost everything. I mean, I believe that can happen to me. I believe. I don't believe in divorce. My wife doesn't believe in divorce. But that doesn't mean we're not capable of getting divorced. All right. I don't believe in being a pervert or anything like that. But folks, these things. You know, if I'm not careful, I'm capable of falling. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna take heed, and. Uh, I think all of us need to do that. But folks, take heed lest you fall does not mean no consequences. That is just the dumbest thing in the world. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word. I pray you'll help us to, to follow these things, Lord. Help us to understand the difference between a fault and a fall. Help us to restore those who have faults. Help us to try to uh, encourage people to do the right thing, Lord, so they don't fall. Uh, Lord, I pray you'll be with some of these preachers that are out there that are perverts, Lord. I pray you'll expose them. I pray that they'll... Uh, it'll be uncovered. I pray the churches will be the ones to uncover these people. I pray that they'll uh, cast them out, uh, expose them, that their sin will be revealed before all. And I pray that they'll be punished severely so others will see it and fear and learn. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, let's go ahead.